Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Incredible scenes for Alpha Tauri and Pierre Gasly, who can come out of the final corner. And Pierre Gasly, for the first time in Formula One, wins. He's victorious at Monza. Oh my God, guys, we did it again. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Pierre Gasly's been through a lot in the last five years. He lost his seat at Red Bull midway through 2019. He became a Grand Prix winner with AlphaTauri a year later, and he then joined Alpine for a new challenge in 2023. But it's the loss of his close friend, Antoine Hubert, which has had the most profound effect on his life. I think it changed my vision approaching life in general, and to carry pain and grief into something more positive. And that's why I'm also very extremely happy and proud of what we starting with Alpine because I know this was his goal, to be a Formula 1 driver for Alpine. And I, I'm 100% sure that he is with us and uh, it's going to make sure that great things happen for us. Hello and welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Pierre Gasly describes his Formula One life as being like a Hollywood movie. And back in 2018, when he last joined us on the podcast, he was just a 22-year-old acting out the opening scenes with Toro Rosso. But the plot has been full of twists and turns ever since. He was promoted to Red Bull at the start of 2019, only to return to the junior team Toro Rosso at that year's Belgian Grand Prix, the same weekend that Formula Two driver Antoine Hubert whom Pierre had known since childhood, lost his life in a crash. Antoine once told Pierre to prove them wrong. And the following year, he became the first Frenchman to win a Formula One race in 24 years, with that stunning victory for Alpha Tauri at Monza. Now immersed in the latest chapter of his Hollywood blockbuster with Alpine, Pierre tells me he's the happiest he's ever been. We discuss the challenges of joining a new outfit, how he's creating a positive team culture, and of course, his relationship with teammate Esteban Ocon. Pierre also reflects on the impact Antoine's death had on his life both on and off the racetrack, how he tried to savour the feeling of that first win, and what it was like to have dinner with all the other Formula One drivers in Abu Dhabi last year, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Yeah, it's lovely to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Fantastic. It's been five years since you were last on. You don't look a day older, if I might say. <laughs> I got a slightly bigger moustache compared to last time we, we did it. But uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking in the lift coming up here. I was trying to think back at our last podcast and it was a long, a long time ago. We recorded it in Sochi 2018. Wow. A lot has happened since then. But... You look very well. I'm putting that down to living in Milan. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is yeah this is partly the reason but yeah there are a, lo- a lot more reason to it i will say uh yeah i'm definitely feeling happy and excited and you know really enjoying the the ride and the whole process i'm going into it and obviously a lot of movement a lot to talk about uh over the last five years quite a lot happened in my life um especially inside the paddock but um yeah definitely in a happy place at, at the moment tell me more about Milan. You moved there in 2020. Why did you do that? Initially, when I started in Formula One, obviously started with Toro Rosso, which is based in uh, Faenza, a couple of minutes away from Bologna. So I straight away moved from uh, Milton Keynes to Bologna, which is a lovely town. And I, I love Italy in general. I love the culture there. I love the the, the way of living, the sort of um, emotions that... Uh, that you get from the country and um, I, I can really feel myself and, and just feel that it's match, matching with my sort of personality. So I moved there for two years and um, yeah, straight away I was thinking, okay, Bologna is very nice and lovely town, but I like something slightly bigger. So I was planning to move to Milan already when, when I was with uh, Alfatari. And uh, yeah, just made the move after two years living in Bologna, moved to Milan three years ago and... Um, yeah, I'm the, the happiest I've, I've ever been. It's lovely food uh, and I'm a foodie. So yeah, I suggest Yuki Tsunoda to uh, have, a, have an eye on a couple of places in Milan. He'll be happy there. I'm the only F1 driver. So whenever I go back home, I can really disconnect. I have my own uh, routine with my gym, with my physio, with, you know, I have access to everything I need to stay on top of my game and uh, and I get the piece that, uh, that I also need. So it's, um, yeah, very... Very, very good place for me. And as a city, I get the impression it feeds your various passions for fashion, for football. Are you an Inter fan or is it still PSG? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a PSG fan and this is for life. But um, yeah, that's one of the first questions I was asked when I moved to Milan straight away. People didn't give me a, a break. They were like, are you Milan or Inter? This massive question to know if we can go further into this uh, conversation. <laughs> And um, I still haven't figured out, like, I'm, you know, I, I got a couple of friends in both teams and I, I'm so connected to PSG that I always try to go to San Siro and I love it, whatever team is it, whether it's Milan or Inter, because they are both top of the league in, uh, in the Serie A. So I, I go there really enjoying the game. But yeah, last year I went to Champions League game. And they were facing each other, and I just yeah could not really make my <laughs> my mind up. So, but um, yeah, definitely yeah, two of the the greatest uh, team of football in history. Now, what about Pierre Gasly, the racing driver? We're getting to the end of year one with Alpine. How do you feel it's gone? There've been definitely a lot of learning with the team, a lot of evolution over the past ten months. I will say we are on the right trajectory and the right path. The starting point was was lower than than our ambitions, let's say, at the start of the year. So it hasn't been the smoothest start of the year and the easiest way to get familiar and comfortable inside the old, uh, the old environment. But I think the way we've dealt with it and the way the team has welcomed me has, has just, uh, you know, they've been the right mentality and the, the right um, attitude from the start. So I think it made it in some ways... It's been quite nice to blend inside the team and, and, and just create these links and this uh, you know, automatism you need to perform at your best in terms um, as a driver. So obviously there have been uh, these learning curves with the guys first part of the year, but I really feel like since we 
came back from the summer break and I can feel the the relationship and the, you know the communication, the trust and all the processes we've put in place. I really start um, working and and you can see it also in terms of result. Like since we we got back from the summer break, it's it's been uh, it's been definitely better. And as a team, I feel we're performing at a better level. Still far from from what we want to achieve and, and far from what I want to achieve with the team in F1. But with the performance we have this year, I feel recently I can I can feel we're really extracting the best from the the package we have. Pierre, what happened in the summer break? Because as you say. It's been rocket fueled since then. It's 36 points in the seven races since then, whereas only 22 points in the 14 races prior to that. Oh, what did you do in the summer yeah. break? <laughs> I want some of it. Yeah, it's always uh, always been really good for me in the summer break. Uh, you know, that's, I, I won I won my first race after summer break. I've always had a great um, second part of the year, but I will put it down to the first part of the year was obviously a lot of learning and getting to know each other with a team so you know the way the communication the, f the the efficiency you get from the time you spend with the team and 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 the understanding of what type of car i need in terms of whether it's car setup and 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 you know the direction i want to take it doesn't click straight away you know they need to understand my driving style the way I, I i speak with them the comments i make about the car and understanding in which way we gotta set up the the things around me so it took some time and on top of that i don't think i've ever been as unlucky at the start of the year than than i've been in formula one so we were all involved in some you know kind of tricky situation i'm just uh I'm looking back you know at that Melbourne oh, we're doing Melbourne. A, an amazing race with two laps to go and, and we dropped 10 points there this was was pretty tough you know there was Monaco we were running in third and made a, a well it, it happened sometime but we made a, a, a wrong strategy call which uh, which cost me the third place so there were again a couple of points there we, we lost they, it just felt you know a bit suboptimal where the potential was there but I was going back home on Sunday and I was thinking you know what like I, I really feel okay we might have finished P9 or P8 but if we would have done things perfectly I think two more points were available for us so it, it just felt we'll miss this one or two percent uh, from just executing and 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 really being on top of of our game and uh I think this is what has changed. We're working in a much better way, much more efficiently. The team understands me better. And, you know, when you put all these ingredients together from after the summer break, with less bad luck, not that we, we were lucky, but just no more bad luck, I will say, over the last uh, few races, then we're able to perform where I think we where we are, like really extracting the, the best out of this package. So it's also more fulfilling, you know, I, I'm feeling happy because obviously I want a faster car. I want us to be in that fight with the guys ahead of us. And I'm pushing the team week after week to especially work on Nexus car and, and come with a stronger package. But the target until the end of the year, because we know we're going to finish six in the championship, is to really feel the execution is perfect so when we get a better car hopefully next season we're able to just execute in the best way at the track and get the best out of the package we'll have it i feel we, we're getting there honestly I'm, I'm i'm happy because you never know how long it's gonna take but as i said i, I felt straight away we managed to perform at a you know 97 98 percent but we were 
we still needed to unlock this um, this last percentage. And then, yeah, I feel like over the, the last couple of races, we've managed to take it to a, a next level. What's it like joining a new team? Because, you know, your experience now, you've done 130-odd races and you go to a new place, you know, as one of the most high-profile employees. You walk in for the first time, everyone knows who you are, but you don't know who most people are. <laughs> Oh, what's it like? How difficult is it to get your head around that? <laughs> it's funny you talk about it, but it's like coming inside a new company, which, um, you know, is, is, is brand new to you and, and a massive organization. You know, you're talking about over a thousand employees working for the team and uh, obviously the last piece of the puzzle, put in the car on Sunday and, and try to, to deliver the job after all our guys have done yeah, hours and, and days and months of work to prepare the car in the best way. So big responsibilities, but the intentions were good from the start. You know, I really felt like Alpine pushed really hard to get me inside the team and, you know, to team up and, and partner together for that project of bringing Alpine to the top. So I was really excited. I was really happy and I was very happy to discover almost like a new world as well. Because I had been with Red Bull for 10 years. I knew everything inside out there. And it was, you know, a start of a new project in my life. So, yeah, just extremely excited. But as you said, you come and trying to figure out everything in a very short time. Because you get a day and a half in Bahrain in a new car. Uh, a couple of days at the factory. And, and you're straight um, thrown into deep sea in, in Bahrain for yeah the first weekend of the year. was was quite a short amount of time. But, uh, yeah. Definitely a lot of excitement and uh, yeah, very yeah, eager to get started at the start of the year. Those introductions to people at Veery and Enstone. I'll never forget when I first met Lewis Hamilton in 2007. He went, hi, I'm Lewis. <laughs> and I was like, I know who you are. <laughs> and I guess you must have that same thing. Are you going to do it? <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, we know you'll be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like automatic. You got to introduce yourself, and uh, I did. I did go to the Christmas party last year, which was, uh, I think, very important because it broke the ice straight away. You know, Christmas party, people are in a different mood. There, end of the year, they they went through a very long, long season. Um, everyone's quite tired, but they they're happy to celebrate. You know, the end of the year and fresh blood. And I was coming, and and. It was just fun, like people were there to enjoy their evening and, and getting to know me, but without like no tomorrow, you know, we were just there having a good time and good talks and straight away I could feel the, um, you know, the passion inside the team. I could feel the excitement of, you know, having someone new inside the team and uh, it just made me feel at ease and, and also brought me reinsurance that they were definitely, they, they, was, they were the right intentions to work together and try to make it as efficient as fast as possible. Shopping for friends or family members can be hard, right? Especially when you want to get them something unique and unexpected. Well, look no further than Uncommon Goods to help you find a remarkable gift for everyone on your shopping list and leave them saying, where did you get that? Uncommon Goods has a huge selection of gifts for every occasion. You'll find fun games, beautiful jewellery, personalised art, wonderfully handcrafted homeware and much, much more at their online store. So stop settling for ordinary and reach out for extraordinary when you shop with Uncommon Goods. My top tip is to start by browsing through their curated collections and bestsellers selection to get some inspiration or just search for a hobby or interest and take it from there. 
the book lover in your life might love a first edition book cover print of their favourite book. Or if you're looking for something sentimental but craft-based, you can transform a special photo into an original work of art with a custom paint-by-number kit. My favourite is a fantastic little racing game called La Corsa Grand Prix, complete with realistic race strategy cards. Its car-playing pieces are actually based on the proportions of a 1970s Ferrari Formula One car, which is a nice little touch for any racing fan that would appreciate such level of detail. And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses, which means many of the products you'll find are often made in small batches. So make sure you move fast and don't miss out. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash grid. That's uncommongoods.com slash grid for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We're talking on the eve of the Brazilian Grand Prix, and... You've already won the qualifying head-to-head against your teammate, Esteban Ocon. Is that important to you? Yeah, it's always important. Not, uh, you can ask any teammate, any driver. You know that the, the first comparison, people will have the face-to-face with your, with your teammate. So it's, it's always something that is important. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I race to beat all 19 other drivers. But ultimately, you know, when you are fighting Max Verstappen with the Red Bull this season, uh, the chances of beating him are, are very little. But then, yeah, against your teammate, you know that your team's going to compare and, and, and people are going to uh, face. And, and also, personally, it's, it's also the, the person that you can compare directly inside the team. So it's always important. I knew it would not be a, an easy one, uh, especially you know coming for the first time in the team and Esteban as what like four I think four season with them so yeah I, I knew it would take time and time is not what I really like like as I say I'm not patient and I, I really wanted things to to work straight away but um, yeah it took a few races and uh, yeah as I say now I feel like we we're getting on the on the right path do you think a Formula One driver's value is judged more on a Saturday than a Sunday because there are so many compromises in a race with strategy and tire wear and things whereas Saturday afternoon, Q3. I mean, yeah, it's it's always a, a tough exercise because you're talking quality. You get one lap, it's pure speed, let's say. So overall speed, it's it's always going to be the sort of like ultimate, you know, chase of speed, uh, really. But I think the way I see it, everything matters. Saturday, Sunday, points are scored on, on Sunday. Obviously... Sundays, you know, over full race distance, a lot more things can happen. And overall, like, you know, over a full season, you tend to believe that it sort of evens up at, at some point. Not not for me this season. <laughs> it feels like the the gods of, of luck haven't really been on my side. But if it can work out and, and means we'll be better next season, I, I, I'll, I'll take it. Now, so much is made in the media about your relationship with your teammate, with Esteban. Have you rubbed along better as teammates than you were expecting? You know, I, I knew that it would not be easy. But at the same time, I knew that we had grown up a lot. 
I was a little worried on how I will welcome me and, and how I will, let's say, work with me. I was not too tense. I know I, I knew how I would approach it and I know Esteban since a long time. So I, I sort of know how we work and both are. And we have different personalities, you know, we're just two uh, different type of people. But ultimately, I think we've been working really well. You know, I think we understood the responsibility. My main concern was to work well with him to make sure that we extract the maximum of the, the car, maximum out of the team, that we're both pushing in the same direction. And ultimately, they're always going to be a sort of healthy rivalry, one wanting to beat the other, and this happens in every team. But what I care the most is just make sure that you know this doesn't impact the, the sort of evolution of the team and the evolution of the car. You need to, okay, it's fine to have a rivalry, but we both need to walk towards the same direction. We all got to be pushing the team forward and, and, and push the development. And I must say it's been exactly what we've been doing. I would not say we, we're friends. We don't you know, spend really much time together, but when we get to the track, this is work. And when we are at work, we are mature and responsible and we are delivering. We have quite similar feedback, been pushing the team and, and requesting pretty much the same thing out of that car and, and how we like the team to develop. So I must say on the, in terms of working relationship, it's very formal, let's say, between us. But that's, you know, that's all I can ask because, yeah, at the end of the day, I just want to be competitive. I'm thinking of MotoGP when uh, Valentino Rossi and yeah. Jorge Lorenzo were at Yamaha. They literally <laughs> had two different teams within a team. But it's not, it's not like that at Alpine. No, no, honestly, it's, it's not like this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, know, I know Esteban won't invite me for dinner, but I'm fine with that. You know, it's, uh, it's very, let's say, it's very different to what I had with Yuki. You know, Yuki was very unique. And, you know, in Austin, I, I had a chat with uh, Sir Jack Stewards, and it was just very inspiring to hear his relationship with Francois Sever. And as he was talking, it's almost like I could relate to my relationship with Yuki in the way that he came to F1 and I was supporting and trying to help. And, and it was a very genuine and healthy relationship. Now with Esteban, you know, we, we're both fighting for our career. We, we both want to make it to the top. We both want to be the leaders of the team and you know it's fine I accept that and I actually embrace the challenge I embrace the competition because at the end of the day Esteban is a very fast and very talented driver and it's proved that and that's what you need also as a team and you need someone that's going to be pushing you you need someone that's going to be pushing the team you want someone that is competitive and I really respect that is I know how much he wants to to beat me at the same time, he knows exactly how much I want to beat him every single time. And it's not something which is personal because at the end of the day, I care about all 19 drivers. And as I say, I don't want to beat Esteban, I want to beat everyone. To beat everyone, I need Esteban to be pushing me and, and to be pushing the team to improve the car. And that's exactly what we've been doing. So I think probably not as exciting for the media. They have an, all the sparks and, and stories and drama that people would have expected. But it's been, yeah, it's been great. It's as you were from the top three. It's going to be close to contact. And there's a crash at the back of the field. Into the wall goes Gasly. It's total, total chaos. Red flag again. Absolute chaos. 
Wow, both Alpines are out pulled up here on the right-hand side, one after another, Gasly and Arcon with parts strewn everywhere. Oh my God, red flag, red flag, red flag. Did it flare up after Melbourne, after the crash with two laps to go? I was, honestly, it was, it was tough. Personally, like the, the flight back home, I was just uh, I was just sad because to me it was the third or fourth race of the season with the team. And was I remember like fighting with the Ferrari, with the Mercedes. I had the podium um, in sight with Lewis and Fernando, like a couple seconds up the road, but... It, it was, you know, a sort of big result that, that will come straight away in the season and kind of kick off your season on, on the right path. And the end was, was absolutely dramatic. And, you know, flying out of Australia after all the work and the efforts and with zero points and, and yeah, the worst scenario possible with both cars in the wall. Like, I have my opinion and it, it was a racing incident. It was just very much a big shame that we both ended up that way. Fortunately, I, I lost much more than, than he lost on that day with uh, you know, the fifth place, which, uh, which was up for grab. But it um, sadly happened. Fortunately, if there was anyone else, it would have been pretty much the same. But yeah, it was, let's say, definitely, uh, how do you say that? Some ink went down after that race because people thought, okay, it's going to be a trigger point. And... We talked things out. We went back to Paris. We had um, a chat with uh, Laurent. And I remember going to Viry with him and, and we discussed. You know, he, has, he, he had his opinion, I had mine and kind of felt like he could have backed out of it. But, you know, he didn't. And, and in the end, we moved on. We shaked hands and just agreed, OK, between teammates, we got to take slightly more margin. And yeah, I had no idea he was there. Knew I was ahead. Could he have done things differently? Probably, but yeah, it didn't happen. And and yeah, in the end, that's that's the way it was. And we were fine. And we just moved on and focused on our job and you know trying to get the best out of it for uh, the following races. Well, looking at the positives, you were able to move on, and that's got to be a good thing. It must have been a, a good sign about your working relationship. I know for my team to perform, they need to work in a healthy environment. There cannot be an healthy rivalry going down between the drivers. And, and that's something I'm aware of. And that's something I'm really trying to be careful and also personally manage Esteban and manage the way that we interact. You know, I take my distance. If Esteban is not welcoming me in his own sort of bubble, then fine. If that's his way of working and I know I'll get more out of him by feeling better in that way and pushing the team in the direction that I need him to push the team, then... It's perfect, and that's why I'm completely fine with the sort of relationship that we we have. And I think it, it works well. Like that, I need my space in its e space, and you know everyone respect that. I think we both have a lot of respect for the drivers that we are. At the end of the day, I want to win. He wants to win, and gotta be hands in hands to make it happen. So, can you be too comfortable? So, when you have Yuki yeah. alongside you and your great mates and it's all great fun. Is that putting enough pressure on you to perform? Do you need outside pressure, or does actually having someone like Esteban alongside bring out the best in Pierre Gasly? It's important, first of all, to say, even though I had this uh, sort of bromance relationship with Yuki, it doesn't take anything away from the talent and the speed that he had. And I've always said it, I think Yuki doesn't get enough credit and recognition for the the speed that he has on some days if he's on his days 
and he controls his emotion and he controls his eager and his language. It can be extremely fast and, and people sort of feel a, a bit under undervaluing, you know, what 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 he's gotta bring. But you know, even though we were having fun and and having a very good relationship, whenever I was getting with it to practice qualifying our race, I wanted to destroy him. Not in a bad way, you know, like don't get it wrong, but I just wanted to outperform him on every single session. That doesn't change. Like the desire to be the best, the challenge and the competition will always take over everything else. And doesn't mean that you lose the respect or you're going to take it further than the limit. You know, you'll always play between the rules, like within the rules. But at the end of the day, what I care and what satisfy me is going back home on a Sunday and feeling I've done the absolute best with the car that I was given. And this is the ultimate goal. You can laugh outside. You can laugh inside the paddock. You can laugh outside the track. can go for nice dinners. And it just makes it more enjoyable. You know, that's more the way I see it, that it makes it all slightly more fun and more enjoyable. We spend a lot of time away from home. So it's, you know, it's a balance between, you know, the sort of happiness that you want to still find moments which you can enjoy when you are not racing. Obviously, the moment I love the most is whenever I get in that car, fighting the best 19 drivers in the world. And this exercise of beating them and, and going after every single hundreds and thousands that I can find in that car. This is the absolute satisfaction. But you know, when you jump out of the car, if you can make it more enjoyable with your teammate, like the way I did it with Yuki, it was great. But then if it doesn't happen then it's fine. You find other ways of, you know, with your team, with your guys, your mechanics, your engineers, you find other ways of enjoying the ride as well. I'm quite fascinated by the atmosphere among the drivers this year. You talk about having dinners and things like that. And I'm reminded of Abu Dhabi last year when all 20 of you went out, ostensibly to say goodbye (laughs) to Sebastian, but it seems like there was a great desire. That was was a hell of a dinner. It was... was, (laughs) I remember that moment for forever. It was the first time in five years we all got together. And did you let your guard down? Did it, not you just as a group? Were people being honest yeah. and funny? And and that what made it so authentic. And that's probably one of the very few times you've seen the real side of people and drivers. And even you always got a closer relationship with certain drivers. But it's almost like on that dinner, from the moment we closed the door, we all took our cap off our heads and we're like, okay, now it's just, you get whatever you see. Um, it can be Lewis, it can be Sebastian, Daniel. Everyone came up with all sort of random stories, which <laughs> I'm not going to tell here, but it was just hilarious. And um, it was great to see at the end of the day, we all racing drivers. We all want to beat each other you get a bit of banter, you get a bit of fights. Sometimes it, it goes slightly beyond the limits, but you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans, just normal people with a, a life which is quite extraordinary. Who surprised you at that dinner? I get on pretty well with pretty much all the drivers. So I I feel like I kind of figure out the people and whoever is genuine and whoever is a bit more introvert, etc., but yeah, Lewis was great. Seb was great. Yuki made us laugh so much. <laughs> and the fact that 
everyone kind of opened up and uh, and just accepted, okay, this is our night and you know let's let's just enjoy it. And by the end of it, we all look at each other and we say, why didn't we do it earlier? Like why did we wait five years to make that happen? So let's just make sure that we get to do this again sooner than later because we all got our stories, we're all different and uh, we all, all had different paths uh, of getting to Formula One. And it's a very unique life, you know, I think you meet a lot of people in Formula One, but, you know, we can really rely and trust on very few people because we spend so much time on the road, we don't get much time home, so you don't have a big circle of like social circle like very strong close friends you don't have many of them when you're racing in formula one and we probably realized well actually might have a few more friends than we think in that paddock shared experience you're all racing drivers you're all passionate about the same thing it makes sense yeah exactly and you know it's a life which is difficult to explain and and comment like many times i feel quite uncomfortable about saying the experiences that I get in my life because you'll sound arrogant. You sounds like you're going to brag about certain things or like showing off. And and I know it's not normal. Like whatever I'm leaving, whoever I'm meeting, it, it's just sometimes I have these moments where I'm thinking I'm living like a Hollywood movie. Like my life is a, is a Hollywood movie. And, you know, you get back home and you're seeing the real life and, you know, what it's like normal work and the normal like life struggles that everyone go through and I can't just say what I've yeah whoever I've just met and wherever I've been and and it just makes you feel uncomfortable so that's why I really like this this chat that I can have with Charles because I know with Charles we're discussing about both our lives we won't judge each other because we know what it's like and we just speak very openly about certain things and I know it's almost like a happy place or a comfortable place where you, you, you really feel you can open up. He'll understand, I'll understand him. At the end of the day, you know, you want to you really want to stay grounded and enjoy every single moment. But I've also learned that there are things you can share and then other things which you got to be slightly more careful in the way that you present them. Rumor has it that Charles is better at chess than you. Is right? <laughs> the guy won one game. The guy got. The guy won one game over me, and then straight away you come up with such statement. Nah. He, I got his queen straight away, and I got too comfortable. I thought I had him uh, set up from the start, and uh, he had a he had a very good comeback. But I I won't let him uh, let him win like that. I told him already, revenge is coming. It's coming up uh, very soon. No matter where you are on your business journey or how big your goals might be, Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage. From the daunting launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the exciting did we just hit half a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. As a business owner, you'll know that one of the most important things you need to understand is how to turn browsers into buyers. Well, Shopify has that covered too. Whether you're selling handcrafted cards or homemade soaps, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. In fact, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And if you want to increase sales with less stress, you can even use their AI-powered tool Shopify Magic and sit back and enjoy the process as it taps into your previous orders and stores data to generate optimized content to help increase sales for your store. 
What I love about Shopify is how empowering it is for business owners to maximize their potential and smash their goals in a simple and supportive way. The endless list of integrations and third-party apps like on-demand printing to accounting are all you need to revolutionize your business. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And it's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond the grid, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash beyond the grid now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're at. Shopify.com slash beyond the grid. Keep up with the latest F1 action on F1 Nation. A superb finish to the line! Race previews, post-race insights and exclusive interviews from the heart of the F1 paddock. Magnificent team effort all round. Huge win for us today. And We're pushing at uh, the limit. We must have just got something wrong. Oscar, can we just grab you on the way out? A very, very cool day. It's been a weekend to remember. You'll hear from the drivers, team principals, engineers and F1 experts from around the world. Really, really nice to feel that atmosphere there in the garage. Having the two of them in the points, quite impressive. Those next few positions are worth millions of dollars. The combination is unbeatable. New episodes every Monday. Search your podcast app for F1 Nation. Now, we've talked about Pierre Gasly, the racing driver, and what it's like going to a new team and what you want from the car. Are you now experienced enough to understand that the role of the driver extends beyond the racing car? Yeah. How long did it take you to realize that? I look at some of the things you've done this year. You, you've been organizing football matches, I think, against Haas recently. You bowling in Canada. You are the sort of glue holding your side of the garage together, it seems. When did you realize that that was important? The experience in Red Bull helped me massively into figuring out the importance of the work and making sure that the environment is as good as it can be. And I think it took me, a, I will say, two years, probably three years in F1 before really understanding how much power and the importance of the racing driver inside the car but inside a garage, inside an hospitality, and inside a factory. We're not more important than any other guy working at the, at the team, but we got this sort of status which allows us to push the people beyond their own limits and beyond what they think. And we have this sort of chance that we can get more out of these people but by just being uh, almost like human and even we don't have much time but we're all part of the same team we are working towards the same goal we're all doing different sacrifices to make that happen and ultimately all these guys are doing sacrifices to give us the best car for me on sunday so you know i'm really grateful and they need me but i need them even more than than they need me and it's how do you get the maximum out of your guys and it's um, organizing this team even trying to spend even if it's a little chat like two three minutes chats every, like every day or every weekend or, or really showing the human side of things and really 
making everyone feel as a team and that's what I'm trying to do. I really want everyone to believe in the project we are doing. We win together, we learn together, we lose together. But at the end of the day, I'll give my absolute best for all these guys. It doesn't matter if it's a P11. It's not what I want, but I'll do absolutely everything to get the best out of, of the tools they give me. And I expect the same from them. I really, I need them and I, and I really need them to give even more than what they think they can they can give because we got that 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 power inside us so this is um yeah the impact you have inside your race team but then there is something i've also worked on and, I, and i've been quite keen on working on is a uh, sort of like find ways of giving back to the community and trying to to have more positive action which can have like a positive effect elsewhere so it was a simple example, but um, obviously a couple of weekends ago I had this helmet for François Sever and I was very happy and, and very proud of you know bringing that sort of exposure about a French icon and a motorsport icon. It doesn't take much, but I just feel, okay, it's how do we keep and, and live up to the legacies we still have from our sport and from the guys, from the old champions and legends we had in our sport and it was just a simple helmet, but I know the family loved it. We managed to raise a couple of funds which were sent back to a college back in France, François Sever College, which was um, called after him in his region, managed to raise some funds. We did an helmet uh, with the Elton Senna Foundation in Imola in 2021, which same raised some funds for the foundation and helped some kids in Brazil. And it's just small action. It doesn't cost much, but thanks to the exposure you get in Formula One, you are able to use it sometimes in a very like positive way that you would not think straight away you know when I came in Formula 1 I didn't have this awareness of how big the sport is and all the opportunities that it can bring and actually that through small action or through messages that you're going to vehiculate through our sport can have a bigger like positive impact you know elsewhere in the world whether it's connected to our sport or whether it's completely disconnected and helping just people in needs and that's something I've, I've tried to you know work on and which I feel quite fulfilling not as a driver but more as a as a person. Do you talk to the other drivers about the things you're doing? I think it's hugely admirable what you're doing. Do you feel that there's only a handful of you doing it or do you think more and more people are thinking like you? We all trying to push and and share positive messages which is not easy because you know when you're exposed the way we are sometimes you think or oh, you have the right intention and you're trying to do something right but it might be perceived the other way so you know everyone's quite careful in in that sense that you want to do something great but how is it going to be received from the public so i think the the will is there Lewis is, is, I think, very inspiring in that in that sense because he's uh, involved and in bringing spotlights on many different topics. And I think it's quite good for our young generation that we understand the power. Obviously, he's got the biggest community, the biggest exposure, but we get a glimpse of what's what's possible. And uh, no, I think the sport has changed compared. If you look twenty years back, we didn't have the tools that we we got these days. 
you know, we need to live inside the the time that we are living it with uh, and, and making the best out of the, the opportunities and, you know, use it in a very positive way because there is a lot of negativity going around and as, a, as an athlete and sport figure with the exposure that we have, you feel this the responsibility of driving uh, a positive message and as I said, if it has a positive impact on a million people, fantastic, but even if it's five people, it's as important personally. Pierre, I think there's the perception at least that your voice has got louder this year since you've been at Alpine. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, yeah. I feel the team managed to understand my needs and understand that to extract the maximum of Pierre Gasly, you need to give him a certain space and sort of, of freedom. I'm quite easygoing and, and you know, I'm, I will say I'm a, even like very easygoing and I don't need much, but it's, it's more the fact that I am who I am and my focus and my desire to be the best is over the top. I worked all my life to be the best in Formula One and that's all I want. But there is this sort of freedom which the team understood I need and really managed to create this environment around me to extract the maximum of myself in the car but also outside the car that I can be quite comfortable at being myself and share that positivity around everyone in the team. So in hindsight, do you think it was a good thing you leaving the Red Bull family after what was it? If I nine didn't think years? it was if I didn't think it was a good thing. But how I much would have not left? <laughs> what I mean by that is that how much of a wrench was it to leave Red Bull after everything you'd been through with them? And I'm including the junior formulas in. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. You know, at the end of the day, when I look back at Red Bull, it was nine and a half years of pure joy and you know incredible results fighting for championships before formula one getting championship win pole it wasn't an easy way to formula one i got sent to japan which at the time probably felt like it was a bit of a punishment going into super formula and turned out it was one of the most enjoyable and exciting season i ever had like i absolutely loved it and i feel such a connection with with japan now that even thinking every year like oh, i wish i could have three or four weeks to spend there because it, it was a, a an amazing life experience an amazing championship a great challenge there was a lot of pressure but i love that I love that pressure. I knew, okay, this is another challenge that Elmut is uh, throwing at me. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to show him that I'm I'm up for it and I'm going to embrace it. And uh, there was a, a lot of stress, you know, showing up in Japan, not understanding anything. New car, I had no idea about the racetracks, but I didn't crumble down. I, if anything, I, I got better as a, as a driver. I showed him, I proved him. It was a shame I didn't get the championship for half a point. But then starting in F1 and, and then after it was a, a roller coaster ride from uh, podiums to promotion to the yeah, the best team in Formula 1 was just quite unfortunate that that year the, the car wasn't working as well. And, you know, it was just like, yeah, unlucky timing. Things didn't work out the best way. It definitely made me better as a driver and, and also as a person. And Do you understand why it didn't work out with Red Bull Racing. 100%. <laughs> Have you talked to Helmut about it since? No. I hope uh, one day we, we get the chance to, but I, I know, you know, deep inside them, I know they, they're smart people. They might have uh, their own opinions on certain things, but they are clear things which 
were obvious and uh, yeah it's the way that um, that it was it, it wasn't really fair but anyway that's that's the way it was you know the sport and I've learned as well that uh, this sport is not always fair I really sort of closed the chapter when I left AlphaTauri and opened a brand new story with Alpine and uh, that's really I think I, I've reached a level and a level of experience and skills and mindfulness right now which thanks to my previous experiences allow me to be better today than I was yesterday. So if that six months with Red Bull Racing has made you a better racing driver, 2019 was your anus horribilis because of a the, the, the professional side of it but also what happened to Antoine Hubert at, at Spa. So if the Red Bull thing made you a better racing driver, how did Antoine's passing affect your relationship with the sport the sport and life in general, it was a shock and like it's funny you said I was just in my phone uh, photo library looking back at some pictures and I ended up yeah seeing the pictures with Antoine from yeah, back in the days when we were at school together and uh, the last dinner that we had in uh, in Budapest before the summer break we were actually planning to go out and the last minute I didn't go, I didn't feel like going. And I remember just like saying bye, you know, from the sidewalk. And I still see him standing there next to my friend Amoy. Yeah, at that time I was still with Red Bull. And we were discussing because obviously we were, we were close. And yeah, a couple of days later I got dropped, got the news. He sent me uh, he sent me that message that I, I shared. And um, basically... I don't think anyone's prepared in their life to lose a, a friend and a very close friend at such a, a young age. And uh, sadly, it wasn't the first very close friend that I lost. It was super, super tough to get over it and to go through the the same. But in my sport with someone that had so everything, absolutely everything from 13 years old, Onwards, living in the same bedroom, like every morning, going to the same. We had like this um, common showers before going to classes and studying together and and training together. And I've always said it made me a better person on track and off the track as well. But following what's happened in Spa, I think it also changed the, my vision of uh, just approaching life in general. And my relationship with the people that are important to me and appreciating every single second that you get to spend with the these close people. Because you never know you never know when's gonna be the last time. Obviously you can't change life, this is the destiny. And I'm someone very fatalist as well. So, you know, I I'll believe we got our story and there is very few things we can do to change our destiny. So I think this is something that I taken from Jules from what's happened with Jules and I was much more with that sort of mindset after that and, and that has helped me to accept Antoine's life story and to carry that sort of pain and, and grief into something more positive and try to, you know, use what's the impact he had over my life in a very positive way and, and that's why I'm also very extremely happy and proud of what we starting with Alpine because I know this was his goal. His goal was to be a Formula 1 driver for Alpine and 
trying to get a win with with Alpine and to be in the position that I am today, I, I'm 100% sure that he's with us and he's looking over us and it's going to make sure that great things happen for us. And Pierre, there is that lovely moment when you're sat on the podium in Monza after your win. Science and Stroll have long since left and you're sat there looking very pensive. And for Pierre Gasly, a week after that emotional return to Spa, 12 months following on from the tragic death of Antoine Hubert, now has the ultimate high in Formula One to raise the winner's trophy aloft, the top step of the podium at Monza. Have I heard you say that you were thinking of Antoine in that moment? I had millions of thoughts in my mind, so it was very tricky to process everything that was going uh, up there. And obviously Antoine was part of it and, and part of the the people that I saw straight away as I crossed the line. But um, it's a moment which you dream of million times as a kid. You fall asleep thinking and dreaming, okay, I want to be a Formula One driver, I want to win in Formula One, I want to experience what it's like to be on, on top of, uh, of the podium after winning a race. And this whole celebration is going so fast. And as I said, after Spa, it was important for me to just learn how to enjoy and take the time to leave the maximum out of the present moment. Because we're always worrying about the future, worrying about the past, and we too often forget to enjoy what's going on, which is what we have. This is the only thing we got at the moment is what we are living. As they walked out of the podium, I was thinking, this moment is my moment. It's going to end whenever I decide it's going to end. And this is too strong in terms of emotions. I've dreamt about it so many times that I cannot just just go now. Just I was like, just take a few seconds for yourself, sitting down there. Covid times, no one, no one is down the main street. <laughs> it's you've got these images of tifosis all over the main street in Monza. I'm probably the only guy with no one down the podium in Monza winning uh, the Italian Grand Prix with an Italian team. But I just thought, you know what? There's so much to process right now. Just take a moment for yourself and sit down and you know, close your eyes and and just embrace that moment. The moment did live on, at least for a few days. We had, what, front page of L'Equipe in France, phone calls from the president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, I, I'm not going to say chaos, but like a, a, a fantastic chaos. <laughs> yeah, massive hype. And it had been 24 years since a Formula 1 French driver won in F1. And the expectations from our country were were huge and I always remember the first time I arrived uh, in Malaysia in the paddock on Thursday I did my first uh, media commitment and the first question from the first French journalist was will you be the next French winner in Formula One and straight away I understood okay these guys have been waiting for a long time there's a lot of expectation how did you answer the question Say so, I hope so, <laughs> <laughs> and you were right, <laughs> and, and and I was right. But yeah, twenty four years of uh, waiting that moment, and and that's why I think 
there was such a, a great reaction and you know a response from all the all the country and i think it definitely also triggered a bigger interest for formula one in um, france and um, and we can feel it obviously they've been you know netflix and just the sport which is booming completely booming at the moment but that win definitely had a had a good impact, massive impact on my life and my career, but also a pretty big impact in France uh, for all the, the F1 fans. And when is this French driver sat in front of me going to win again? I mean, what does 2024 look like from your eyes? I want to say 2024 because, um, yeah, I mean, this this is the clear target and, and, and that's the goal I'm working towards and I just want it to happen very 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 badly next season i think it will it will be tough until the end of the year and i'm someone quite objective uh will need a bit of a miracle to happen not like it can happen but chances are low but um yeah i really hope we can hear the french anthem on on the podium in formula one next season in 2024 that would be fantastic pierre it's been so good to catch up again can we do this before the next yeah. five years is <laughs> we'll make it happen thanks so much for your yeah, time it's thank been you. great to chat what an insightful chat with Pierre he was so candid and interesting whether he was talking about the job of settling into Alpine or reminiscing about some of the seismic changes that have occurred in his life since he was last on the podcast five years ago two things really came across one Pierre has a huge amount of self-awareness and emotional intelligence. And two, he has a will of iron and a competitive streak that must be a huge driving force in his professional life and his personal life. When I mentioned the chess match against Charles Leclerc, he was having none of it, wasn't he? Pierre, many thanks for your time. It was great to chat and I'll see you in Vegas. As ever, please send in your thoughts and stories about Pierre. How do you think he's getting on at Alpine and can he win in 2024 as he so hopes? Send what you've got to me at Tom Clarkson F1 on X, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Which brings us on to what you sent in about last week's episode with Enrique Bernaldi. He was a new name to some of you, but we've had a huge amount of feedback. And let's start with this from his former teammate, Heinz Harold Frentzen. Yes, says Heinz, Enrique was very fast. Unfortunately for him, he had to be measured against me and I had lots of experience in setting up the car and driving around the difficulties. My mission was to improve arrows, which had lots of potential. Well, Heinz, thank you for the message. It's great to hear from you again. And who better to judge Enrique's speed than you? Next, here's Ron DiBiase. I saw the podcast and hadn't even heard of Enrique Bernaldi, so I admit my expectations were not high, but this turned out to be an excellent listen. Great anecdotes and what sounded like unfiltered commentary made it a winner. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Ron. And you're right, Enrique was incredibly candid and amusing. And finally, let's hear from Sam Bull. Brilliant interview, says Sam. Enrique seems like a really down-to-earth guy and he has a super infectious laugh. <laughs> yes, he does, Sam. Enrique is a great character. And do you know what? We recorded this episode in the Suzuka Circuit Hotel in Japan and it was huge fun from start to finish. 
We'll leave it there for this week, but thank you very much for getting in touch. And thank you to you for listening as well. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Pierre Gasly in time for next week's show, when I will, of course, be back with another great guest from the world of Formula One. In the meantime, if you'd like to have another F1 listen, why not tune in to F1 Nation's review of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, which is out now wherever you listen to your podcasts. F1 Beyond the Grids is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.